Isn't it? So. Well, again, happy Mother's Day, a special day in which we give attention and honor to our mothers. And I know that they're, um, if they are here or even if they are no longer with us today, we honor them. We're thankful for them. So enjoy this day. Enjoy your time together with your children. Uh, maybe you're going out to eat. Maybe you're going to play games this afternoon. Maybe you're just going to, I don't know, it's sort of that kind of day outside. You might just all crowd up on the couch and just relax and kick back, right? Whatever it is you choose to do, enjoy this day. Uh, mom, there's, there's, I say moms, there's a good possibility, just throwing us out here, that you'll be receiving a gift today if you did not already get one. Okay. Uh, after Christmas, Mother's Day is actually the second most popular holiday for giving gifts. Matter of fact, most uh, flowers are purchased on Mother's Day more so than any other holiday except Christmas. So again, uh, America spends $14.6 billion on Mother's Day, including $671 million on cards and $1.9 billion on flowers. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Now, I'm telling you all this because this is why. That being said, allow me to encourage you moms, bring the level of expectation down, okay? I don't know if you're going to get millions of dollars worth of flowers and gifts today. Maybe all you got was something that was crafted at school this week. That's still pretty special, isn't it? Enjoy those gifts. Um, Some of your gifts um, were maybe well thought out. Took a lot of time. Others may have been last minute. Uh-oh. Mother's Day's tomorrow. <laughs> Mother's Day's today. Um, some of you maybe in your gift giving, you had long anticipated, couldn't wait to give mom your gift. Oh, I can't wait to give this mom. Some of you are like, oh, I probably should give her something. You're like, you're obligated, right? So it's all over the board, isn't it? I, I hope that whatever you receive, it blesses your heart. And if you haven't done anything yet for your mother, please do me a favor. Do something for your mother. Whether you're on good terms with her or not, do something for your mother. Think it through. What would honor her? What would be special to her? Please, no re-gifts, okay? Oh, I got this gift card sitting around. Eh, I'll just give it to... No re-gifting to moms, okay? Take time. Think it through. What would she like? Now, I say all this because... That's what God did for you and I. He didn't re-gift. His wasn't last minute. Like, oh, what should I do for this world? It wasn't an obligation. He didn't have to. God's gift to us was unconditional. It was thought out. It was unique. Matter of fact, I'm going to reference a scripture we usually hear at Christmas time. Luke chapter 2, verse 11 For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For unto you. This gift is for you. This gift is Jesus Christ. God's gift for us. Now, as a church, as you came in, hopefully all the ladies got one of these. The simple devotional journal for you. That's our gift to you. 
It's pretty simple, pretty small, because the best gift that we can give to you as a church is the knowledge and the truth that there's a God who loves you and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and longs to have a personal relationship with you in his presence. That's the best gift that we can give you, and we offer that to you. And I hope you have accepted that gift. And if you haven't, today is a perfect day to receive that gift. If you would, please grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. we got some in the back. We'll bring one to you. And open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. New Testament, right? Right? past Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and you get these small books and you're going to find Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read this to you. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Church, it is by grace that you have been saved. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. God says, I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. That's called grace. That's why it's an amazing grace. It's his gift. A gift that we can't earn it. We can't buy it. We don't deserve it. But when you believe it, God gives it to you. That is his grace. I heard a story by Dr. James Boyce, and I want to share this story with you. It is about Dr. Henry Morehouse. Henry Morehouse uh, was a social worker, and it was in the last century, and he lived in, he was in the slums of, of uh, the District of London. And one evening, Henry Morehouse was walking through the streets, and as he was walking out, this little girl came out of a, a basement store carrying a pitcher of milk. And as she got to the streets and was approaching Henry Morehouse, she slipped and fell, and she relaxed her grip on her pitcher of milk and fell, and the pitcher broke, and the the milk just ran down into the gutter. And there she laid crying. Well, Henry Morehouse quickly uh, went to her help and just to see if she's okay. Are you hurt? Are you all right? And she's sitting there crying. He helped her to her feet, and he said, Don't don't cry, little girl. Don't cry. It's going to be okay. But she kept crying and kept saying, kept repeating, my mama's going to whip me. My mama's going to whip me. No, little girl, your mama's not going to whip you. She won't do that to you. Look, the pitcher isn't broken into that many pieces. And with that, he, he got down and, and he grabbed the pieces of the pitchers and he tried putting them back together to the best of his ability. And she started to have a little hope because she came from a family where the pitchers at her home were not new. A lot of them have been mended before. And now she's watching him maybe piece this back together and maybe this will work. Maybe he can repair the damage. But as Henry Morehouse fitted several of the pieces together and he sort of did it working a little too rough, they broke again. She began to cry again. And he said, don't cry, little girl. I promise you, your mother won't whip you. And once more, they began the task of restoring this picture. But as 
it kept going. He got to the part where the handle got put on, and he let her put the handle on. But as she put the handle on, as it would happen, it fell off, and the other pieces broke apart again. And again, she started to cry and weep. This time, there was no stopping those tears. And she looked at those broken pieces there on the sidewalk. So Henry Morehouse decided that he was going to do something. He decided to pick up that little girl. And he carried her down the street to a shop that sold other pictures. And they went inside and they bought a new pitcher for her. Then still carrying her in the new pitcher, they went back to where she bought the milk. And they filled that new pitcher up with more milk. So with the pitcher of milk in one hand and a little girl in his other hand, he asked her, where do you live? And she told him. And they walked back to her house where she lived. And when they got here, he, there they set her down on the step. And then he opened up the door handed her the picture, and she started to walk in. And um, he said to her, she went in, he goes, let me ask you one more question. Do you think your mom is going to whip you now? She said, oh, no, sir. I have a new picture. It's going to be okay. And she went in. And I read that story, and I thought, what a wonderful story, a picture of grace, an illustration of God's grace to us. See, the Bible teaches that, that men and women... We're created in the image of God. But when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned and they disobeyed and they did not follow the righteous laws of God, that image was broken beyond repair, like that picture. And it doesn't mean that there's no value to human life, like that picture seemed to have no value, right? Because we know this, even broken pottery has value. Archaeologists will take broken pottery to help decipher and figure out the civilization of what age that era that came from. Broken pottery is not worthless, but it's worthless so much as maybe carrying milk, right? Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, says this. No one is righteous. Not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Just like the story, we attempt to put the broken pieces back together in our life. But we can't obtain that perfection. There's no one righteous. No, not one. But here's the good news. Jesus came into a hopeless situation, into a broken situation. Listen carefully. He came here not to patch us up like a pitcher, but to recreate us, to restore us, to transform us into something new. That is truth. That little girl didn't deserve Morehouse's favor, did she? She did not pay for that new pitcher. She did not pay for that new milk. Morehouse did not expect anything from the parents. He simply did it because it pleased him. Isn't that a picture of God? We can't pay God back for salvation. We can't pay God back for forgiveness of our sins. But he does it because he loves us. He pleases him. Because God is full of grace, sinful people like you and I, we're forgiven. We're saved. And it's not because of anything in us or anything that will ever be in us, but because of the boundless love, the goodness, the compassion, the mercy, and the grace of God that he gives us. John 1.12, I'll put that on the screen for you. If you remember, years ago I said, Church, this is your spiritual birth certificate, this verse right here. 
It says this, but as many as received him, to them gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That day that we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the day we said, I believe in you, we received the divine power. Maybe you didn't realize that. The word power in the Greek word here describes a delegated authority or an influence. The day you chose to make Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord, he delegated the power and the authority to become a child of God. It's, and if that's not enough, let me take you to another verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It declares this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so if you, again, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This verse says that after you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are brand new. You know what the Greek word for new means here? It means new. Brand new, okay? Man, Rex, you know so much about the Greek. I know, I study hard. But there is a second meaning here. Not only does the word new mean brand new, but it also has a second meaning. One that means Something that is superior. Something that is superior. That means that Jesus Christ came into your life when you asked him to come into your life. You placed your faith in him. He made your life new and superior to what it was before. In fact, you are so new that this verse calls you a new creation. Again, doing a word study. What does that mean? It means that same word was used at the beginning in Genesis, the creation of the world. When you were created new and superior, that creation is the same power that was used at the creation in the book of Genesis. Everything in creation was newly made, right? Now that same word described you when you were saved. Everything about you is new. You're not some amended, corrected, improved version of what you used to be. You are absolutely brand new creation. Completely detached from the person you once were before Jesus Christ. The problem is we forget that and we fall into the trap of living the way we used to live because we have not understood the truth of who we are. Rick Renner says this, an author, he says, Stop laying claim to your family's genetic problems, inheritable sicknesses, dysfunctional behavior, disorders, hang-ups, curses, or any other negative thing that was a part of your life before Christ. That old person no longer exists. He is dead. You're brand new. Couldn't have said it any better. But wait, there's more. It sounds like an infomercial, doesn't it? But wait, there's more, right? Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. This is what I really want you to focus on here. All that you've heard so far is so important, so important, so true. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, if you have a highlighter or a pen, you might want to highlight this, underline this. If that makes you a little nervous about writing in your Bible, then write it on a note next to it, okay? Let's read verse 10. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Let me hear you say masterpiece. You might want to underline that. Look at the person next to you and say Masterpiece. Oh, yes. 
that your favorite part of the message when I make you look at somebody next to you and say something. I get you. This is so important. You've got to read this. You've got to hear this. We are God's masterpiece. Here it is again. He has created us, what? Anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Church, listen very carefully. You are his masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. That word comes from a Greek word, poyama, which contains the idea of something that is artfully created. Artfully created. It's like this. On the day you got saved, God put forth his most wonderful, powerful, creative effort to make you new. And once God was finished making you brand new, you became a masterpiece, skillfully and artfully created in Christ Jesus. There's nothing cheap in anything of any of you. Nothing cheap whatsoever. You're a masterpiece. God's creative, artistic, intelligent genius went into your making. But here's the problem. Some of you may not even know what a masterpiece is. So you've heard me say it over and over. You are his masterpiece. You are his his masterpiece. What's a masterpiece? So let me help you out. Let me go to the pieces of artwork that are called masterpieces. There's two pieces of artwork there. One on the left is by Raphael. It's the, called the St. Paul Preaching in Athens. It's owned by the Queen of England, and it is valued at over $500 million. That one piece of artwork, $500 million. The painting next to it is Van Gogh's Starry Night. And that could easily fetch a price anywhere between $500 million and $1 billion if the Museum of Modern Art decided to sell it. Those are called masterpieces. Those are not the things you have in your house, in your living room, or do you put on your fridge. Okay? Those are highly valued, artistically well-done pieces of artwork that is millions, if not billions of dollars worth. Masterpiece. Everybody understand what a masterpiece is now? Let me say this again. God says you are his masterpiece. Everybody hearing that? Because some of you don't believe that. Today you need to walk out of here believing that truth. We are his masterpiece. It's who we are. We just sang it's who we are, it's who we are, right? We are loved by God. This is who we are. His masterpiece. We don't always feel like a masterpiece, do we? we? We look in the mirror and we don't see a masterpiece, do we? Because our vision has been blurred by a few spiritual intruders. Remember the Satan, he's a thief. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He is crafty. He doesn't want you to know truth. First thing to cause a blurred vision of masterpiece is the world's view. And what does it mean by the world's view? The world throws at us the look at them philosophy, the comparison game. It's me compared to the world around me. And here's the thing when we compare ourselves to the world around us, we always lose. Every time. Because we're never good enough as that person. We're never pretty enough as that person. We don't have what those people do. We don't do what that family does. So when we play the comparison game, the worldview basically screams back at us and says, you're not good enough. You don't measure up to what everybody else is doing. And then we fall into depression or we throw these pity parties. 
can do the flip side as well. It can lead to pride and bragging. Look what I got compared to them. I'm so much better than them. Look at all what we do. Look what they don't do. And that can lead to a sinful attitude as well. So we use social media sometimes to validate that we're good parents by showing off our trophy kids. Or we look at the newspaper and, and, and social media and one way we compare ourselves to other people and it's left us wanting, wanting more. You know, this past week was, a, it was an eye-opener for me because I was falling into this worldview. I was falling into it big time. You see, here's the thing. My three boys, one of my sons is playing baseball right now in high school, and, and, and this season hasn't been what we've wanted it to be, and we could long for it to be more. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I wish there was more for my son. And, and after Wednesday night, we had lost another game, and, and I, was, I was mad. I was sort of critical and complaining. And, and it's like, oh, how come my son never, or, or he did, you know, you know what I'm saying? You ever been there? And then it hit me. Maybe it was God's spirit that hit me. Probably was. As I was driving, I'm sitting there thinking, how many times my boys had multiple surgeries, fractures, injuries that not only sidelined them for a game, but for a season. And I didn't go watch my kid play because he couldn't play. And I remember mowing my yard hundreds of times just praying, God, can I please just have one season where my kid is healthy? Can I please just watch my kid succeed at one sport and not be injured? And here I was Wednesday night watching my son be able to play, and I still wasn't happy. And I had to confess to God that I was wrong. I forgot to just simply love my kids for who they are and not what I wanted them to become or the opportunities or this or comparing them to the rest of the world. I just forgot to show up and cheer them on. Just love them. God, thank you. Thank you that I could be there today. And even if they weren't playing, if they were on the bench, but they're healthy, thank you. I forgot. Forgot to be thankful. Another thing that can cause us to have blurred vision and not see the masterpiece is our own self-view. Oftentimes, we look at ourselves and we don't see the masterpiece. Instead, we look in the mirror and we see, not good enough. Ooh, look at me today. Because we looked at something else yesterday or somebody else and we look at ourselves in the mirror. And maybe we've heard it long enough from people around us who've said things about us that we start to believe those things and we're thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not fit enough. Whatever it might be, we look in the mirror and we try to cover our flaws. So we have the world, and we have our self-view, and then we have, here's the, the third-party view, somebody else. It could be our spouse. It could be our kids. It could be a family member or a co-worker. It could be somebody else that says something about you that causes you to have a flawed view of yourself. When you do the right thing, sometimes, like parents, you're trying to just do the right thing and discipline your kids, you know, whether you're going to spank them or whether you're going to take away something from there. They're going to be, you know, I don't know what you're going to do with your disciplinary action, but also your kids just hate you. They say something mean to you. Even though you know you did the right thing in discipline, it hurt to hear them say that, even though what you did was right. But now you heard what they said, and now you feel not so much like a masterpiece anymore. Our masterpiece, sometimes as a result of the world, our own view, or others around you, 
our masterpiece looks like one of those crayon drawings of a six-year-old that you can't decipher, you have no clue, but you proudly displayed on your fridge because your child drew it, right? No clue what that was. It's flawed. But to you, what is it? It's a masterpiece, isn't it? God says, you're my masterpiece. I want to show you a video. Maybe this will help you with what I've been trying to say. I always want to be the poster mom, but I know that that's never going to happen. <laughs> oh, I really struggle with trying to be perfect. I see so many moms that look like they're doing it the right way, and I've always dealt with perfectionism in my life, and so being a mom has multiplied it. There are some days where I feel like I'm not as compassionate as I feel like I should be. Um, there's other times where I feel like I am her. I feel like I just can't handle being a mom sometimes. And it's, there's days where it's just too heavy. Life just around me just feels too heavy. Uh, I struggle a lot. I struggle with patience. I struggle with time. When you have two, it's harder than the first time. So having mom guilt with not having enough of one or the other. I struggled a lot with enjoying all the phases of motherhood and it took me a, a while to really discover it, it was a huge effort for me to find what I enjoyed about being a mother and finding, finding that it really was my job and my calling to raise these three little babies. And um, yeah, that's, that's been a hard one, just enjoying motherhood. Her hugs. They're just best, I guess. He makes me pancakes for breakfast today. Probably my favorite thing to do are, is um, play games with her and play games. Usually we cuddle together or um, color. She gets me to the farm and she's never frustrated about it. She forgives me quickly and she likes having girl time with me and she just likes hanging out. She buys some clothes and a house and food and other stuff. She's always there for me. I miss her when she's gone. Because I just know that she loves me so much. And like, because she is, spends time with me, loves me, and she's the best and beautiful. How do you describe, because she does so many things, but like mixed into one. But when like we're baking, she um, is like just happy, and I like it when she's happy, and it makes me feel loved. Mom, I love you like so, 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 so much. Like... Isn't that good? 
our view of ourselves has been distorted, hasn't it? Did you hear those moms, how they felt about themselves, how they were doing as a mom, pretty low grades, and the kids came and said, oh, mom rocks, right? What's your view of yourself? Because I know what God says. God says, you are a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. That's who you are. And you and I are are masterpieces. Why? Because we're created with a purpose. We are created with a purpose. Now, at this point in time, I just want to focus in on the ladies, okay? Because you are created with a purpose. Mothers, allow me to take a moment and focus on your purpose. And I can't mention them all in a few minutes. So I'm just going to share a couple. I'll throw these up on the screen. So you were created to show comfort. Isaiah 66, 13 says, I will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. You're the one that gets up in the middle of the night when the baby needs to be, be fed or rocked or changed. You're the one that, that when the, the boys or little girls fall and they scrape their knees, you're the one that kisses their boo-boo or their ouchie or whatever you got that nickname for, right? You talk your children through their first heartbreak. You're not alone. God knows what it's like, and that's why he comforts you and me, because moms, you're going to help comfort your children. Luke 13, 34, 35 reminds us that you were created to nurture and protect. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. You were created to care, to listen, to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Ladies, you were created to love. 1 John chapter 2, verses 6-7 says, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one that you've heard from the beginning. This old commandment, to love one another. It's the same message you've heard before. You were created to love God. Proverbs 31, 30 says, Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Don't rely on charm and beauty of your list of accomplishments. Those are idols that will distract us from Jesus. Fear the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, women. Godly women will not get the attention. If you're hoping because you're loving God and living for God that you're going to get on the front page of a magazine or you're going to be put out there on social media, look at this godly woman, it's not going to happen. So do not judge your life, your masterpiece on what somebody else does with that. Don't wait for the applause of the world because it's not coming. And that's okay. Because the only affirmation you need is from God when he says, you are my masterpiece. Exodus 20, 12 and Ephesians 6, 1 to 3 say, Honor your father and your mother so you may live long on the land the Lord your God's given you. See, God holds mothers in a high regard. You have a high calling. You have a purpose in life, moms. And your actions are important in the shaping of your children's lives. And this world needs to see God. And they need to see God through a mom. But it's not easy, is it, ladies? Being a mom is tough. And you just look at the facts. I decided to go and look at a few things real quick, and I'll just share this with you just to say this is how hard it is for moms. And again, I'm just scratching the surface. Here's one stat I found. Mothers do about 88% of the laundry in the U.S. 
This equals 330 loads of laundry and 5,300 articles of clothing per year. That's a lot of laundry. And if you've got more than one child, oh, just do the numbers, right? The least favorite jobs for mom, vacuuming the stairs. You may agree with that one or disagree, ladies, I don't know. On the, this, this is a very sad stat. On the day after Mother's Day, there's a dramatic increase in mothers signing up on cheating websites. Unmet expectations from Mother's Day leads to cheating the next day on their spouse. Mothers around the world face different challenges, but some common global concerns include guilt over not spending enough time with their kids, feeling overwhelmed, frustrated at being the default parent. Men, when you hear this, what does it make you want to do? I hope it makes you want to grab your mom or your wife or somebody and say, hang in there. What can I do to help you? Because it's not easy, is it? Have you told someone lately that they are a masterpiece? Have you looked at them in the eye and said, you're a masterpiece? 2 Timothy 1.5 says this. I remember your genuine faith, and for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Paul expressed thanks for Timothy's grandmother. Don't you love this? In the middle of his writings, his letters, he's like, by the way, I want to take time out here. Timothy, your grandma, way to go. And your mom, where would you be without her? More specifically, expresses thanks for their genuine faith and for the same genuine faith that was evident now in Timothy. Timothy, where did you get this faith? Mom, grandma. The faith that was in Timothy was obviously brought down from a godly mother whose faith was passed down from her godly mother. And those words speak to us from a high calling of motherhood, of the innumerable blessings of a godly woman. I know who it was that was beside my bed when I was seven years old and prayed with me. It was my mom. Every generation is responsible to pass along faith to the next generation, men and women alike. But, but mothers clearly play a key role in that great responsibility. Eunice is in God's presence today as a direct result of her faithful testimony of her mother Lois. And Timothy the same. Worship team, would you please come forward? A masterpiece. Don't check out on me yet, okay? Don't close up and say, okay, we're wrapping up the sermon. Listen very carefully. A masterpiece. Church, that is what you are. You are a masterpiece created for God's purpose. That's who you are. Do me a favor. Take the mirror, ditch it. Social media, toss it. The world's distorted view of you needs to go. Your distorted view of yourself needs to go. You are God's masterpiece. Wonderfully, artistically created, brand new. That's who you are. God's masterpiece. Created to do good things. And this goes for everyone. Men, women. You don't, I'm just saying the moms only. But men, treat your moms and other women like a masterpiece, please. Church, treat each other like a masterpiece, please. Treat one another as God treats you with grace, mercy, and love. That's how you treat a masterpiece. For that's what you are, a masterpiece in the eyes of God. As broken as you may feel 
like that pitcher that couldn't hold milk, God has restored you. Whatever happened yesterday, this morning, a year ago, 10 years ago, you're new. You've been forgiven. You need to let that go. And look at what he's really done in your life. He's created a masterpiece. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an incredible God you are. That you love us so much. That you look at our brokenness. You look at our distorted view of ourselves. The lies that go around and that we tend to believe about ourselves, about other people. All it does is destroy the masterpiece that you are creating. You've created us anew in Christ. Through your divine power, we are brand new, superior to what we were before. And we are a masterpiece. We reflect your image, a priceless, valuable, incredible God. We know that we are not God, not even close. We're your children. But as your children, we are your masterpieces. This church, God, is a gallery of artwork, of masterpieces, and we forget when we walk in that we need to greet each other as if we were greeting a masterpiece. And when we get home and we get angry with each other and we raise our voices and we walk away thinking, why did I do that? Lord, help us be quick to forgiving one another and to look at each other as masterpieces. God, thank you for giving us your son, the most ultimate gift. For by grace we have been saved, your grace. Not of our works, otherwise we'd boast. God, thank you for that gift, a gift of grace to your son. God, if there's somebody here today that's never asked for forgiveness, that's never accepted that gift, your son, Jesus Christ, now's a good time. Right where you're standing, just ask for that forgiveness. Ask God to forgive you of your sins, of your brokenness. Ask him to come in, to forgive you, and to restore you, to make you brand new. And maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ. Let him know that what you've been struggling with. He knows. And if you've been looking at yourself as a messed up piece of artwork that's just a total wreck, ask God for forgiveness because that's not you. You're a masterpiece. Created with purpose. God, let us know what our purpose is. To love others, to nurture, to protect, to serve, to worship you. Let us do it with all of our heart. God, what an awesome God you are. We want to sing to you, God. We want to worship you because you deserve it all for your amazing grace that you give to us. We worship you now with song. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.